Turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Well, I'm going to give you the gist maybe of Ephesians 5, 21 through 6, 9, but um, there are several sections here that are introduced. One is a section on marriage, so I want to back up starting next week and deal with marriage. Chapter 6 is a section on parenting. I want to spend some time on parenting, and that may be where we are at January 1st. I've got some awesome biblical resolutions for parenting. And then after that, um, uh, the work environment, and then it goes on, Ephesians to the armor of God. So that's, that's the big overview. This morning, let us, let us think about uh, where we're headed in the book of Ephesians. I want to read to you Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 21. Hear God's word. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. As the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife may, must see to it that she respect her husband. Now, let me stop right there for a minute. <clears throat> if um, this was a wedding service, you would, a lot of wedding services I've been to, uh, you would expect this particular passage to be read. Um, and so I was startled a few years ago when I was asked to perform a wedding service. And the wife-to-be expressly said, I want you to do the wedding service, but I do not want you to use Ephesians 5. And I didn't think that would ever come up. I mean, it just caught me off guard. I was, I was literally startled, thinking in my mind, wait, 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 wait here. This, something's wrong with this picture. You want a Bible preacher to perform your wedding ceremony, but you don't want the Bible preacher to use the Bible if it's Ephesians 5. And so I, I asked her, I said, you know, that kind of catches me by surprise. What, what is it about Ephesians 5 or passages like that that you want, you've taken the effort to expressly say, to please don't use it? And her answer was, I like the passage myself personally, but that passage will be offensive 
and divisive to my guest that I'm inviting to the wedding. And I thought to myself, when did, when did this passage, which this is perhaps the most popular passage in my entire lifetime that's been used in weddings. When did this passage become offensive? When did it become divisive um, to our guest and to our audience? When did we get to the place where we're, we're afraid to read the Word of God in public to people that we know? And it seems to be, as, as I've been trying to explore that whole subject and think about where did this start taking on this offensive nature, there seemed to be a time in life where we, I started hearing in theological circles, this verse 21, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Instead of continuing reading as the passage goes, as I read it to you, people started to stop with verse 21. And said, see here what it says is be submissive to one another. Let's just stop right there. And what the Bible is teaching is equality. There needs to be equal submission one to another. And I started hearing that over and over and over through preaching and teaching and articles. And that whole concept of uh, equality of genders has come into our society when that is not what this passage is teaching at all. And it's not what you find in the Scripture at all. What you find in Scripture is just wonderful diversity. What you find is God creating us distinctively different from one another. Uh, and how uh, marriage is all about the complement of male and female. And we're destroying some of God's design by wanting to stop with verse 21 and say what we have here is an equal concept when what we have here is not an equal concept at all, and I'll show you that in a minute. But the thinking was if we continue to teach it as inequality, as differences, male or different than female then that's going to lead us to men abusing women. And so we think that it's more loving, more respectful, and more honoring to women to say that they are equal to men, men are equal to them, and we need to have equal submission of one to the other. Boy, it's in our society now. And the, the man that is taking the concept that he can be abusive to women. He can be disrespectful of women, dishonor women. He is the most despicable of men. And he's under the wrath of God for his atrocities. No scripture commands us, authorizes us to be abusive to women. This passage, this is just strong will honor them, respect them, love them, cherish them. Die for them. This passage is not talking about female abuse in any stretch. It's about like Christ gave up himself for the church. Men, give up yourselves for your wives. So it's very strong 
on love and honor and respect and sacrifice and protection and provision for women. I don't really hear men who are abusive using Scripture to rationalize their position. It certainly doesn't come from this passage. But for some reason, people have been using this passage to begin to teach equality of male-female. Now, a few months ago, I saw on Pinterest, and just so you know, I do not have a Pinterest account. You know? Um, And as far as I've ever been on Pinterest is when some article is linked to Pinterest, and I click on to see what the article is about, and you only get about that much space, and then it turns gray and says, you've got to sign up to see more. So on this particular one, that's what I did. I clicked on, and the heading was, well, the heading that got me to Pinterest was equal marriages. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. I want to see what that has to say. So I, I, I jumped over there. And what it was, was an order of service for two ladies getting married. A lesbian marriage. And the heading for their order of worship was we, something to the fact we have finally arrived at equal marriage. And that's all I saw. So I had to you know, go back to my other site. But as I thought about that, I said, there's a sense in which... They got it right. Because female and female are equal. And they are saying we finally have arrived to that place where we can have an equal marriage. A woman to a woman. Of course, you could could argue the same thing for male and male. And that's where our society has got because it, it doesn't want to deal with this concept of no, there's male and female. That marriage, equal marriage, does not fit Ephesians 5. Because in Ephesians 5, it's talking distinctly about husbands needing to be heads over their wives, and wives needing to be submissive to their husbands. And that whole concept is not equal. And our society's not liked it. And so they, they push for equality And now that we have a society that's very tolerant of female-to-female and male-to-male marriages, believe that they now have arrived at equality and equality of marriage. And all of that is abhorrent to God. That's not what he is teaching here. When God put Adam to sleep and took a rib from his side, And made it into a woman. And then woke Adam up. He presented to Adam the most wonderful gift in creation ever given. That wowed him with her beauty and her compliment to him. Saying you will now become one with her. The two of you will be one flesh. And you will be able to multiply and replenish the earth. You'll be able to rule over the earth. And you'll be able to reflect my image because I created you to reflect my image, male and female. And until I created female, that couldn't happen. 
And it must be this complement for any of these three things. The purpose is the reason for your creation. You see, female to female, male to male, does not reflect God's image, which is male and female. Homosexual, lesbian marriages cannot be fruitful, replenish the earth. And the homosexual marriage cannot rule over the home and society and marriage because they don't have compliments to rule over. They have this thing called equality. Well, certainly a passage that cannot be ignored, and it doesn't need to be feared because it's all about love and honor and respect and sacrifice. It's the kind of things we cherish. I want you to see all the way down to verse 9. This is what we saw last week, being filled with the Spirit, and we'll see that again. This is still flowing out of the Spirit. Chapter 5, verse 18 says, If you're filled with the Spirit, as we saw last week, you'll be singing. You'll be thankful. Verse 19, verse 20. Verse 21, you'll be submissive. Now, as he gets to submissive, he illustrates it three ways. Verse 21, be subject to one another. Verse 22, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that's the first illustration. Then chapter 6, verse 1, children, be subject to your parents. Obey your parents. And then chapter 6, verse 5, slaves, be obedient or subject to those who are your masters. Uh, let me read chapter 6 on down. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. See how the honor is right here, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, so that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So there's commands to fathers to father well. Verse 5, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh and fear and with, with fear and trembling and sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Now, we don't have a slave's master's culture, but we do have uh, a management labor culture or boss-servant culture. So that's the way you'll hear me applying this. Verse 6, not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters do the same things to them, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Both, all three illustrations when it talked about the head or the master or the father, it makes particular reference to the fact, do not abuse this position. Take on this position with great honor, with great respect, with great love, with great compassion, with great concern about those who are under you. But see, the submissiveness of verse 21 is being... Uh, illustrated three times. Be submissive to one another. What do you mean by that? Verse 22, wives, be submissive to your husbands. What do you mean by that? Chapter 6, verse 1, children, be submissive to your parents. What do you mean by that? Verse 5, uh, the servants, be submissive to your bosses. All three illustrations hang together. That's the context. So however you translate or however you understand one, you have to understand the other, three, the, the other two the same way. 
because they're all three part and parcel of the same context, which is why it's clearly not talking about some sort of equality. In other words, it's not saying, husband, you submit to your wives the same way the wife is to submit to the husband. It doesn't say that, and it doesn't imply that, because to imply that would take you into the next two categories as well. Children, be submissive to your parents. Oh, by the way, parents, you need to be submissive to your children. Really? In the same way they're submissive to you. And into the, the work environment, servants, be submissive to your bosses. And by the way, bosses, you need to be submissive to your servants in an equal fashion. It's, it's not teaching that. And that wasn't, wouldn't work. And we all know that. And so we're offended by it and said, just don't use that passage. Let's just ignore it. And that's the way our society is taking it. I'm sure that's not the way you're taking it. But that's what's going on. So we understand the passage. Why somebody who gets the passage right says, okay, that bothers me. But it doesn't need to bother us. We need to understand it. And if we understand it, it, it brings us such beauty that the world is missing. Um, It's sad that so many in our society have been pushing for this equality and missing 2,000-year-old counsel or just missing a 6,000-year-old design. God created us male and female. He didn't create one gender. He created two. And it's on the first page of the Bible. And from that design, he is doing something wonderful for us that we need to see Um, And we need to appreciate, we need to understand. The truth of God will lead us to wonderful marriages, to godly children, and to more efficient workplaces. And instead, we have a society where work is not efficient, where kids are disobedient and in just disarray, and marriages are divorcing faster than they're getting married. And perhaps it's because we've missed God's design and we're doing this thing called equality because we think that's better. It's right in our eyes. It seems to be, for us, it's, it's less abusive. Really? Well, that's what we've begun to embrace and see. And Well, we embraced it long ago. In the last two generations, it's been embraced, and now we're seeing the fruit. The fruit of destroyed marriages and the fruit of destroyed children and the fruit of of a society that's constantly rival in, in fighting one another. Kids fighting with parents and wives and husbands fighting with one another. Um, let's see the distinctives that God's given us here. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Well, the submissiveness that's being described for the wife, the husband's side of that, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. There's this thing called male headship. It's right there in verse 3. It goes through the passage. And again, people say, okay, there's another concept I can't take. And for some reason, we think male Headship means male chauvinist. It does not. It's not an abusive title whatsoever. But 
we want to get away from it when the passage is, is clear, it's plain, it's no other way to take it. It's, it's not an invention of man. It's not an invention of somebody my age who's called old school. This terminology has been given to us by an eternal, omniscient, all-wise God. Think about that. The terminology that the society has given us, this equal marriages terminology, that's been given to us by limited, frail, lacking knowledge humans. I mean, we've created it. That didn't come to us from God. You just, you just weigh the source of, of some of this, and you say, you know, maybe I need to get back to the Bible. I need to get back to God's definition because God is not limited in his understanding of how society works, how kids grow up, how marriages last. God gets it, so let's, let's go back and see what God is saying. God is never taught male domination. He's never taught male abuse of the female. Uh, but he's also never taught male-female equality. He's taught that there's distinctions. There's strong differences. And we need to understand them so that we can grow to the wonderful place God wants us to be. Um, God just, you know, as I get into this debate with others and I go back to God's Word and say, God, where do you say in the Bible that we're equal? You know, talk to me about that. And as I search the Scriptures, I, I don't see God ever having a passage of Scripture where He wants to talk about our equality. That's not the argument God wants to make. That's the argument we want to make. That we're all equal. When God says, no, I, I create male and female, I create parents, I create children, I create bosses, I create servants... And he talks about those categories. And you just don't find passages where God wants to talk about equality. But rather, he wants to talk about diversity. I mean, you take 1 Corinthians 12 where he says, he says, some of the people in your congregation are unseemly and seem insignificant. We don't like that language. No, 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 God, don't use that language. Unseemly, insignificant, small, or we don't like the idea of weaker vessel. Don't use that language, God. We don't like that. God said, no, that's the right language. Because I want to talk to you about diversity, and I want to talk to you about how you're not the same and how you work together to create a wonderful unit. But we, we want to create in our minds somehow, no, we're all the same and we're all equal. And we want to argue that, and we have a hard time going to Scripture to do so, because that's not it seems, what God wants to argue. Rather, what God wants to argue is wherever you are, whatever you are, are you a male or a female? Are you a parent or are you a child? Are you a boss or are you a servant? Wherever you are, be like Jesus. I want you to be Christ, a Christ-like husband. I want you to be a Christ-like wife. I want you to be a Christ-like boss. I want you to be a Christ-like servant. I want you to be a Christ-like child. I want you to be a Christ-like parent. Instead of getting us to be like one another, the Scripture's always teaching us 
how to be like Jesus wherever we are or whatever we are. Well, let's think about the complementary duties God's given us here in Ephesians. See, I wanted you to be submissive to one another, and you've got different duties. Uh, and I'll get into some of the marriage duties later on, but you see in verse um, 20, 22, 23, 24, Wives, be subject to your own husband as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Uh, what is he teaching? He's teaching there's, there's distinctions. And with those distinctions come different duties. And one of the duties of husbands is to be head. And he's going to talk to husbands about the responsibility of being loving, kind, compassionate, sacrificial, provisional heads. Uh, look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. comes up there. He's, it's like Paul says, man, don't miss this. This is so crucial. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning at verse 1, it says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. I mean, that's pretty strong language. Our goal here is to do it like Jesus. Verse 2, Now, I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly the traditions just as I deliver to them. But, verse 3, it's like, here's the one thing you're missing. But, I want you to understand. It's strong. I want you to understand. I want you to get this. Christ is the head of every man. Man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. It's like Paul says, I want you to get, we're not the same here. Christ is not just like us. I want you to imitate Christ, but Christ is your head, and you're your wife's head. And there's differences. As we seek to be Christ-like, we must understand our distinctives and our station in life. And he begins to share that, that we're not the same, we're not equal, we're different. It's interesting when you see Jesus do this, because, I mean, if, if you have any good theology at all, you know the theology of the Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, same in substance, equal in power and glory, right? But we don't see Jesus arguing for sameness in the Trinity. We don't see Jesus arguing for equality in the Trinity. It exists, but that's not what he's arguing for. Let me show it to you. Look at John chapter 5, verse 18 through 24. John 5. Well, it took me a long time to, to, to see this because I want to argue for equality. I'm like you. And when I, when I look here, I say, wait, that's not what Jesus is arguing for. John chapter 5, verse 18. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath. I mean, that's, that's one thing. But that's not the big thing to them. But also, was he was calling God his own father. Now, if you do that, what they said, you're making yourself equal with God. And they want to argue equality. If you're God's son, you have the same substance as God, you're equal. And life is all about, I want to be equal to you. I don't want to be under you. You're saying you're equal with God. 
That's huge. That's big. Those are fighting words. Because equals fight. And a rival, we think you're equal with us. You're making yourself over us. You're the head of us now if you're God. Remember, Paul says, well, exactly, Christ is the head of every man. They don't like that. They want to be equal so they can fight. Notice what Jesus does with this. You would think, okay, this is a perfect opportunity for Jesus to stand up and say, you're exactly right, I am God, I am equal with God. And Jesus keeps pushing it down and playing it down. Verse 19, therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. What? First thing out of his mouth. I want you guys to know without a shadow of doubt. Truly, truly, verily, verily, I'm under the Father. I'm submissive to the Father. The Father is my head. I'm the submissive servant. Now, you know, if we want to get theoretical, or if we want to get ontological is really the right term. In his being, he's equal. You see, that's not his argument. In the same way, men and women, we, we are co-heirs with Christ. We're, we're equal ontologically, but that's not what he wants to argue. That's what we want to argue, not what he wants to argue. Notice what Christ is arguing. The Son, Jesus, can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. I mean, if the Father asked me to do it, if the Father's will, I came to do his will. I came to be submissive. So the son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. Verse 20, for the father loves the son. See, he gets it. My head loves me. I don't have a problem doing what he wants, being submissive. And, and he shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does the honor does not honor the Son, does not honor the Father who sent him. You see what Jesus is doing? His argument is not about sameness. I'm just like the Father. It's not about equality. I'm equal with the Father. It's all about He's my head. I'm His Son. I want you to see my submissiveness. I want you to see my obedience. I want you to honor me because you honor Him. And when you get that here, it's going to be a whole lot easier when you read Philippians chapter 2. You wonder about this deep theology of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, of Christ, although he existed in the form of God. Remember this? He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Theologically, although Christ existed equally with God, when you saw him on this earth, you never saw him reach out and grab a hold of equality and said, it's not fair, treat me as an equal. You never saw him do that. You always see him treat me 
as a son. Treat me as the submissive one under my head. He never reached out for the equal argument. Why? Because he wants us to see the beauty of doing life the way it was designed. With husbands being head over their wives, parents being in charge over their children, bosses being in charge over their servants. That's the way it was designed to work. And when we reach out to take a hold of equality, we end up with lesbianism and homosexuality. We end up with something that doesn't work for the reflection of God's image, for the reproduction of God's kingdom, or for the rule in His kingdom. It won't. By design, it won't work. And that's what Ephesians 5 is trying to teach. We're to be submissive to one another just like Christ did with God the Father. He was always that way. And he never, ever, ever reached for the equality argument. Um, now, I don't have a problem going into other discussions. I'm not going to. I put it on your handout. I don't have a problem arguing for the value of women. I think when you look through this passage, you're going to see tremendous value in women. By, not, by saying they're not equal, I'm not saying they're not valuable. I'm not saying they're not significant. I'm not saying they're not co-heirs with Christ. I'm saying they don't grasp at the equality argument because there's so much more in this life for us. So I put down for you, and I just won't go into it. Uh, godly women have authority to proclaim the gospel, Acts 1.8. Philippians 4, 2, and 3. Godly women have the authority to prophesy. Isaiah 8, 3. Acts 2, 17 and 18. Chapter 21, verse 8 and 9. Godly women have authority to run a household. Proverbs 31. Godly women have authority to manage commercial businesses. Proverbs 31, 13 through 31. Godly women have authority to serve as co-laborers with men. Judges 4, Romans 16, Philippians 4. I'm not against any of that. God's not against any of that. That's not what he's talking about here in Ephesians 5. So don't get sidetracked. Don't miss the beauty of what's going on. And, and, and let society pull you into, let's talk equality. Can women do this like men can do? Can they do it equally? See, that's not where God wants to take us. That's where we want to go. But that's not where God's wanting to take us. It's not about can they, are they able, are they just as smart, are they just as powerful. That's not where God wants to take us. He says, I want you to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Parents, be over your children. Bosses, be over those under you. And learn how to be submissive in that context. Men are particularly called in this context to love, to honor, to cherish, to protect to provide for, and they've been in every context all through Scripture. God is not diminishing the value of women, but He he's, will be demanding men to treat them as more valuable than yourself. If you get hung up on the equality thing, you can't go there. Wait, how can they be more valuable than me? I thought we were equals. No, don't even go there. Go to the place where they are more valuable than you, that you would lay down your life for them. 
And we've got to throw out this worldly concept that's keeping us from going where God wants to take us, to a place of great honor, love, and protection. Well, think about some of the creational distinctives, directions that he gives us. In Ephesians 5.21, the most important part of this is the last four words. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. What I want to share with you is marriage principles, parenting principles, that's going to lead you to wonderful marriages, that's going to lead you to godly children, uh, workplace principles, that's going to lead you to wonderful workplace. And I don't know how many non-Christians I've had in my office say, help out our marriage, please. Help, help, out, help me have children. My children are wreck. That are, help me have children that are godly. And I have to look at them and say, look, I can give you the principles, but I just want you to know right off the bat, you will never be able to keep them. And they look at me like, what do you mean? I says, because it starts with verse 21. The principles are built upon you fearing Christ. The submissiveness that's in this passage, be submissive to one another in the fear of Christ, meaning in the reverence of Christ, in the honor of Christ, in obedience to Christ. You are somebody who wants a principle of success instead of saying, I want to fall at the feet of Christ and surrender all. I want to honor Him first and foremost. I want Him to be my highest respect, my deepest love. What's in this passage only works when you surrender all to Christ. Be submissive to one another out of respect for God and His design. Out of respect to God and what He wants to do in and through you. Don't do it for you. Don't do it for perfect children. Don't do it for a perfect wife. Don't do it for a perfect husband. Don't do it for a successful business. Do it for Jesus. And if you don't get that, it's not going to work. You see how that fits? So many people miss it. I don't even want to be submissive, and I don't really want to surrender to Christ. Well, it's not going to work any other way. They, they all hang together. If, if you will be submissive to Christ, Christ will give you the blessing of godly children. You'll be submissive to Christ. God will give you the blessing of a work environment where bosses love and cherish their employees and employees love working for this boss. And God will give you wonderful marriages where you can't imagine ever being more satisfied. Because you have in the picture, you have in your life this, this surrender to the Creator that says, let me bless this. This person is living life because they, they love me, they respect me, they honor me. That's the life that begins to you just see wonderful marriages, godly children, and wonderful work environments. Our society is seeing the opposite of all of that, and what they miss is this true fear and reverence for Christ um, that God has designed us. We want to be 
individuals. We want to be doing life where it's all about us. When God saves us, when we fear Him, respect Him, honor Him, we quit pursuing us. We start pursuing Him. And we'll want to do life your way, God. It doesn't matter about me anymore. And we quit, we quit arguing for equality. We quit arguing for our rights. We start acting like Jesus. I can do nothing unless the Father directs me. I can do nothing unless it's, it's His will. And, and we see such wonderful leadership and such wonderful submission and such wonderful love and such, such daily sacrifice that your husband says, I can't believe you know, God's blessing me, so this is such a wonderful marriage. The wife says, can't believe I got such a wonderful husband. Children said, out of all the parents, God's given me you. Wow, you're so awesome. And parents say, same thing of their children. To see God work in my kid's life, it's just unbelievable. It's so wonderful. And then to see that in the workplace, begin to, to transform because you have such value for the people under you, and the people under you see that, and they have such value for you. And it's all because everyone is seeking to revere and honor and respect Christ. Somehow we've ceased being the light of the world, and the world's missed that picture, and they're trying to do life by exalting man to a place of equality, and it's, it's just not working for them. Um, what, what do we need to do to, to get, I mean, you hear it in the, in the parenting world. Parents all the time say, well, I'm not going to tell my kids what to do. I'm going to let them grow up and let them make their own choices. In other words, I'm going to treat my kids like equals. I'm going to be just as submissive to them that I'm asking them to be submissive to me. I, I want them to make their own decisions and, and grow up. Instead of looking at God's Word, God says, no, 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 parents. Do not frustrate your kids with no discipline and no instruction. I had created them in such a way they have to be trained up. You need to talk to them when you walk. You need to talk to them when you lie down. You need to talk to them when you rise up. They need to be trained according to my word. And when you train them according to my word, they'll see how you love them and how you honor them and how you sacrifice for them. Then they will respond to that by honoring and respecting you. And you will have such a wonderful family. But society says, no, no, no. Just let them make their own choices. Treat them like equals. And in the workplace, the same thing's going on in our society where society says, you know, I should be equal to my boss. I should get the same pay. I should get the same rights. I should get all of these things. And we fight with one another because we don't see that, no, God didn't design it that way. And the same way in marriages where husbands and wives are constantly fighting instead of just a sweet submissiveness, instead of seeing God's, God's Word and His design. What a blessing to have a wonderful marriage, godly children, wonderful work situation, following the principles that God's given here, but it's all about following submission to Christ. You know, I, I see our society as just arguing uh, for wisdom and saying, I got just as much wisdom as you. I can see everybody around. I can see what works. And it's like putting your hand right in front of your face. 
And I say to them, you can't even see the people beside you. And they say, yes, I can. I can see them. I can see them. Yeah, you can. But everybody that you're looking at, you see, if you're doing that right there, everybody's kind of obscure. Everybody's not real clear to me. And the reason you're not clear and the reason you're obscure is that I'm spending far too much time looking at myself. My focus is on me and what I get out of it. Instead of letting my focus be on Christ and His creation, His people. We've got a society with their hand an inch in front of their eyes saying, I can see the world and I can see what's best, and we need to do this because this is what's best. And they're missing Christ. And they're missing a, a much clearer picture that God's presenting for us, submitting to the fear of Christ. Well, I hope you'll begin to take this in. If, if you're caught somewhere in the world or somewhere between the wor- world and the Word of God, you're going to struggle with this passage. And I want you to, to kind of wade into it with me and see the submission that God's requiring all the way down to chapter 6, verse 9. Um, because it's going to produce for you such wonderful living. We are not the result of some evolutionary process, which is what I was taught in school. We are also not the product of some new spiritual enlightenment, which is also what I was taught in school. That finally we've evolved to a place of superior being and we are equals. Or finally we've been enlightened. We've removed the hand far enough that now we see we are equals. We're not the result of evolution. We're not the product of enlightenment. We are precious creations of a divine, omniscient, all-wise, loving Creator. And our Creator reveals Himself in the Bible. And He reveals how to do life in the Bible. And it's inerrant. And it's infallible. And if you'll accept the fact that you are created then you can listen to the Creator tell you how to do life. And He knows because He designed it to function a certain way. Or you can choose to do what's right in your own eyes. As for me and my house, we seek to serve the Lord and seek to do life according to His Word, even if it's contrary to what our schools and our culture and our neighbors and our closest friends say. Let's get back to the Bible. Let me give you three applications of Ephesians 5 just to think about. Number one, repent. If you've been doing life according to what's right in your own eyes, turn from that and say, God, I've got, I got to get away from that, that small view. I, I want a bigger view. I've got to turn from that, and I've got to turn back to your word. Teach me. Let me do life in fear of Christ in surrender to Christ, in honor, in respect to Christ. Number two, realize every station in life needs training. What you see in Ephesians 5 and 6 is not only do wives need to be trained to be submissive, do children need to be trained to be obedient, 
do servants need to be trained? Not a, you don't just see that. Husbands need to be trained. Parents need to be trained. Bosses need to be trained. We all need to be trained to do life God's way. And doing it that way just makes none of us abusive to others. It makes all of us lovers and encouragers and builders of others. The very verse ahead of it, speak to one another in, law, in Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, to build one another up. We make melody together. We don't fight. So this filling of the Spirit is going to lead us to a place where we see we all need training right where we are. And then number three, third application is Learn to be content with whatever station in life God has called you to. I didn't get to choose who I was going to be. You didn't either. I didn't get to choose to be male. Those of you who are female, you did not get to choose to be female. We don't get to make those choices. We don't get to choose most of our life, like whether we're going to be a boss or whether we're going to be a servant, whether we're going to be a husband or whether we're going to be a wife. Whatever position God puts you into. Learn to be content with it. You're going to be a co-heir with Christ, in, of Christ with me into heaven, and if you're the best wife you can be, Christ-like. If you're the best husband, Christ-like you can be. If you're the best servant, or the best boss, or the best child, or the best parent, Christ is going to say, well done good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Because that's the station in life I put you into. And what a joy it was in heaven for me to dance over you because I saw you doing what I created you to do in the fear of Christ. You never reached out to grasp equality with someone else, but rather you served the way I designed. And it's such a beautiful thing. You were fruitful. You reflected my image. And you ruled with power and authority because you ruled in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It's, it's at times deep because it goes to the core of our creation and our order and our society's so far departed from it that it shakes us up. And we often are in darkness and don't see the light. Father, forgive us where we've sinned. Forgive us where we've obscured the light. Bring us back to truth in your word. We need it badly. Those around us need it badly. We live in a land that is so abusive and so dysfunctional and so corrupt and so far from the Redeemer. Change us, transform us, forgive us of our sins and make us again the light of the world. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.